0: Lord, we do thank you for the freedoms we have. We thank you for the the men and women who've given their lives that we might be here this morning, that we might be openly uh, worshiping and honoring you in this place. Pray that you would be with us this morning as we do that, that you would be honored and glorified in Christ's name. Amen. So today is going to be the last of my sabbatical sermons. So I had a three-month sabbatical. And uh, it's been four months that I've been back, but some of those were Easter, pomps, so it's been 12, it's really been three months of sermons to cover three months of sabbatical. So uh, I said that when I came back, I said, maybe I can do, it. and I don't feel like I've done it justice, but we'll, uh, going forward, I won't, I'll continue to include uh, things that I learned on my sabbatical. Beginning next week, though, in June, we're going to uh, switch gears a little. I say a little because we're going to continue to be talking about prayer, uh, specifically the Lord's Prayer. Over the summer months, I'm I'm going to preach on the Lord's Prayer. Now, now I won't be here during the last half of July and early August because my wife and my kids, their spouses, and even my little grandson David are going to Thailand and to Cambodia for three weeks. It's sort of a, a family mission trip. So I'm excited about the trip, and I'm excited about looking at the Lord's Prayer next week. But this week, I want to bring together what we've been looking at since I returned from my sabbatical. Uh, Luke back there asked me, what did I learn on my sabbatical? And I said, well, I'm going to summarize it for you, Luke, today, here, this morning. I want to tie a bow around this sabbatical sermons, and then I want to reinforce the key aspect of what we've seen, and that has to do with what we've been talking about, the Holy Spirit. But let me begin with a summary of the sabbatical sermons. And first, let me illustrate why I believe this summary is important. We live in SC, Southern California which is basically a desert, right? And in a desert, there are a lot of wide open spaces. On a clear day, you can see for miles and miles. You can get a good idea of where you are, and you can see, uh, most times, where you need to go. Have an understanding of your direction. But when I lived in the other SC, South Carolina, that was not the case. South Carolina, if you've been there, North Carolina, South Carolina, that whole area is just one big forest, right? While living there, I came to literally understand the saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. Everywhere you go, you're surrounded by trees and they all look the same. It's difficult to get your bearings because the big, tall, beautiful trees all look the same and they're everywhere. The only way to get perspective is to get above the trees. I remember driving into the mountains, and when we got high enough, I could see for miles and miles. Now, granted, all I could see was the tops of trees, but I was able to see the forest. And as I was thinking about these sermons, these sabbatical sermons, these uh, 11 messages, 12 counting this one, I was wondering if I spent too much time looking at the trees. When maybe what we need is to get some elevation and see the forest. So what I want to do is give us a brief overview of what we've seen. I want us to see the whole forest at once, instead of seeing it uh, a tree by tree. There won't be much detail, but I'm hoping uh, for a better perspective. If you weren't with us for this uh, 11 weeks, if you missed much of it, then hopefully God will fill in the blanks. I hope it will help us see where we need to go. So over the past 11 weeks, we've talked about uh, transformation, we've talked about meditation, and we've talked about prayer. But at the heart of these messages, these topics, at the center of the forest, what 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 I saw in a new way during my sabbatical was beholding the glory of God. Most of us have heard the quote, From the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the chief end or purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But to glorify Him, we must first behold His glory. Now the idea of glory is sometimes difficult for us to understand. What is this glory thing we talk about? Remember we saw that the glory of anything is its greatness, its splendor, its beauty, its majesty, its magnificence. For example, the glory of the sun is its size and brightness and heat. The glory of a lion is its mane and beauty and power. The glory of the forest is its diverse life and its vastness, its many, many, many trees. But when we come to God, everything about Him, all of His qualities are glorious. The glory of God is His omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, His justice, righteousness, His holiness. His love, His grace, His mercy, His long-suffering, His forgiveness and goodness and faithfulness. And I could go on. The glory of God is everything about who He is and what He does. And if we're going to behold, if we're going to experience this glory of God in our lives, we need to turn to where it's shown. We need to turn to God's Word. Yes, we can see a limited part of His glory in our creation. We can even see it in a limited way in one another. But the primary place that God's glory is revealed is in His Word. It came fully, His glory in Jesus Christ. And that's revealed to us today in His Word. We we must go to Scripture to experience a true understanding of who God is and what He does. And that led us to spend uh, three weeks in this sabbatical series focusing on meditating on God's Word. Beholding God's glory in His Word. We looked at Psalm Uh, chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 mainly blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither In all that he does he prospers we saw, that the impo- we saw the importance of turning away from the things of this world, from the, the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers, and instead turning to, to and delighting in the law, the, the instruction, the word of the Lord, to meditate on it, to spend time day and night pondering it, thinking about it, asking questions about it, to see what it teaches us about God about who God is, about what God does, and to consider whether we're applying what we're learning to our lives. And then to take our meditations to the Lord in prayer. Allowing Him to change our hearts. Asking Him to change our hearts based on what we've beheld in His Word. As I see it, the purpose of meditating on God's Word is is twofold. First, to behold God's glory. To see the truth of who God is And what He does to ponder His glorious attributes and actions. To come to to know and understand and experience God in an ever-increasing and in a deeper way. That's what we've been doing for the past six weeks, in case you didn't know, as we've really meditated on Psalm 86. As we took our time to ponder and think about this prayer of David We saw that it included a declaration uh, of God's glorious attributes. We beheld the glory of God's goodness, His forgiveness, His grace and mercy, His long suffering, uh, His abounding steadfast love and faithfulness. Over those six weeks, we saw more and more uh, of, of the glory of who God truly is. And I pray we grew in our knowledge and our understanding and in our experience of God in that time. So first, meditation on God's Word enables us to see who God is, to behold His glory. But second, meditation reveals our need for change. As we see who God is, uh, we also see who God desires us to be. And this should, should move us to prayer. That's part of what David was doing in Psalm 86. Yes, he prayed for his immediate physical situation, his needs. As as evil men were trying to kill him, he prayed that God would preserve his life. He prayed for grace, God's kindness and generosity and compassion. And that God would show him a sign of his favor. But he also prayed for his, his spiritual life. He prayed that God would gladden his soul. And at the heart of this psalm, David prayed, Teach me your ways, O Lord that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. David had beheld the glory of the Lord. He understood and was experiencing who God was in his life. He knew that God alone could answer his prayers. He also knew who God wanted him to be. And he knew that he was not that person. So he prays. He prays that God would enter into his life, that God would change his thinking and his actions, that God would teach him his ways so that he could walk in the truth, so that he could could be who God wanted him to be and do what God wanted him to do. And he also prayed for a transformed heart. Unite my heart. Give me an undivided heart, a heart loyal to you, God, so that I might uh, put you first in all things, so that I might fear or revere your name above all names, so that I might live for you and, and for no other. So, Psalm 86 was our example, and it's, it's not alone. There are other Psalms and other places in Scripture, throughout Scripture. But it was our example of how David beheld God's glory in such a way that it caused him to pray for radical change to take place in his mind and his heart and his actions. He prays for transformation. And that brings us full circle. It takes us back to the first two uh, sabbatical sermons. Eleven weeks ago, we began this series by talking about uh, transformation. For two weeks, we focused on 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When we trust in Jesus Christ, when He becomes the Lord of our life, that veil, the barrier between you and you, between me and God is removed. We're, we're, we have unveiled faces. We can see God. And when it's removed, we're enabled to behold the glory of the Lord. We can see and experience, at least in part, I mean it's a process, we'll mention that in a minute, uh, God for who He is and for what He does. And it's when we do this that we experience transformation. Transformation. That word transformation, if you remember, is the Greek word metamorpho, where we get metamorphosis, like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. We are being transformed. We are being changed by God into the same image. That image is the image of God, the image of Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the church in Rome, for those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed, transformed to the image of his Son. But our transformation doesn't take place all at once. It's gradual over time from one degree of glory to another. And it doesn't come by our own efforts. Yes, we have a part to play, but ultimately our transformation comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who transforms us into the image of Christ. So that's a summary of our 11 weeks of messages. So, so if I were to then summarize even the summary of my sabbatical sermons in one long sentence, it would be this. I, I put it in your notes, if you have notes. It's going to be up on the screen. By the power of the Holy Spirit, those who trust in Jesus Christ will experience gradual transformation into His image, through beholding the glory of God revealed in His Word and entering into prayer based on what His Word reveals to their hearts. That's the big picture. That's the forest I want us to see. Now let me ask you a question. What's your part in achieving your own personal transformation? What can you do to become more like Christ? I invite your response. Based on that uh, summary there. Say that again? Okay. Trust in Christ. Christ. Okay, that's step one. you got to trust in Christ, otherwise you're not even in the process. Pray. There's some prayer. Where does the prayer come from, though? His Word. So... So the the process involves trusting in Christ. And then, is it up there? Maybe it's a little convoluted, sorry. Beholding the glory of God revealed in His Word. That's what we can do. Through His Word, through prayer. What you can do to become like Christ. Behold God's glory revealed in His Word. Reading it, studying it, applying it, believing it. And pray. Pray. Pray based on His Word. This isn't new. This is not revolutionary. Our part in our growth, our transformation, always comes back to this. Always comes back to spending time with God, spending time in relationship with God, spending time in His Word, seeing who He is, seeing who we're not, and then going to prayer, praying that we become who He wants us to be. It's not a mystery. And I think we've covered that part. I I hope we've covered that part fairly well. But as I went back over my 11 sabbatical sermons, I realized there was one thing I'd neglected. One very large tree, if you will, that, that, that I hadn't spent enough time looking at. We glanced at it. When we looked at 2 Corinthians 3.18, and it, and it begins the summary of, of this, uh, th- this statement up there, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We talked much about our part in our transformation, meditation on God's word and prayer, based on that meditation, but we didn't spend much time on God's part, which is actually the most important part. And so, with the time I have left today, how much time do I got? Uh, I got at least an hour, right? Uh-huh, that's funny. Uh, I want to conclude this series by focusing on the transforming work of the Spirit. Our transformation. And that's what we want. I mean, we talked about that. I, I, I pray. I mean, you, you're probably zoning out if you don't want to be transformed. I'm fine with who I am right now. Maybe we need to stop and pray that we desire transformation, because that's, the, that's what motivates us. That's what motivates us to understand these things, that we desire to be transformed, that we desire to be more like Jesus Christ. And this transformation comes from the Spirit. So the question I want us to look at today is this. How does the Spirit of God work in our lives to bring about our transformation? How does the Spirit empower us to become more like Jesus Christ? Why is it better, as Tom talked about, that Jesus left and gave us this Spirit? The first thing I want us to see is this, the Spirit Himself empowers us to behold God's glory. We've talked a lot about God's glory, but we cannot see it without the Spirit. For those who, who wear glasses, I'm one of those. We can all remember, or I, I think. Well, maybe if you're little, you can't. But I can remember my first pair. I'm nearsighted, uh, which means that I that at great distances things appear blurry. I, Luke's really clear right now. If I do this, I, he could be anybody. Okay. Now I became nearsighted gradually as I got older, so I didn't even know how bad my eyes were. It was just this this. Uh, blurriness that came in over time I didn't know what I was missing I didn't know that things could be that sharp in the distance but when I put on my first pair of glasses and things in the distance became clear it was revolutionary I was somewhat blind but now I could see and in a similar but but in a spiritual and in a deeper way the spirit gives us the ability to see if beholding God's glory is is key to transformation, then the first thing we need is clear vision and the spirit gives us more than glasses. He performs spiritual surgery on our eyes, really our, our heart the eyes of our heart, the eyes of our mind so that so that we can behold who God is. we can understand in a in a in a different way who God is and what he does Paul explains it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 12 through 14 he's speaking to the church to those who ha- have unveiled faces to those who've who've uh, come to Christ he says now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God when we come to Christ first first step in the process we receive the gift of the holy spirit why well, one reason, Paul says, is that we might understand the free things freely given us by God. This is supernatural and somewhat mysterious stuff. This is what the Spirit does as He enters into our hearts and our minds. The Spirit gives us an understanding for the things freely given us by God. And what are those things? Paul explains. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, Wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truth truths to those who are spiritual, to those who've received the. That's the, those who are spiritual are those who've received the Holy Spirit, those who've trusted in Christ. We're given the Spirit that we might understand the things of God. What are those things? Well, Paul's talking about words. Words not taught by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit of God. God's Word is what he's talking about. Taught by the Spirit. He's talking about the Bible. Peter links the Scripture and the Holy Spirit this way. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy has ever produced, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried away, along by the Holy Spirit. God's Word was written down by men. We know most of the books in the Bible, we know who their authors were. But it was the Holy Spirit who inspired what they wrote. The Bible is the wisdom taught by the Spirit. We say that the Spirit inspired The Word of God. And as Paul has said, it's the Spirit that enables us to understand the Spirit-inspired Word of God. We say that the Spirit illuminates God's Word. He sheds light on the Word of God that we might understand it. He sheds light on our hearts that we might understand the Word of God. The Spirit inspires and the Spirit illuminates the Word of God. He works in our hearts and our minds that we might understand the spiritual truths of God. Things we could not have understood, that we would not have received before the Spirit now become clear because uh, he ends this little section. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly, foolishness to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned, they're of a spiritual nature. You can only understand them from the spiritual perspective. So as those who trust in Jesus Christ, we are no longer natural people. We're no longer people of the flesh. Instead, we're spiritual people, people of the spirit, and an actual supernatural spiritual change takes place in our lives. When we receive the Holy Spirit, when we trust in Christ, we're given the spirit of God, and he immediately brings that initial transformation. We move from not accepting or understanding the things of the Spirit of God to accepting and understanding them, at least in part. Again, this is a process. It takes us time sometimes. We have to work through it. But we're given the sight. We're given the ability. And at the heart of what we we now have is the ability to understand truth about God. God. Things that God has given to us about Himself, who God is, and what God does. It's the Spirit that empowers us to behold the glory of God. Without the Spirit, we'd have no hope in seeing who He is and what He does. We'd we'd think His goodness and kindness, we'd turn it around, we'd think it's something else. We'd think it's foolishness. But now we can see His glory. His greatness, his majesty, his splendor, and this is due to the spirit's initial, transforming work in our lives. So first, the work of the spirit uh, the worth of the spirit begins by empowering us to behold God's glory, but it doesn't end there. Second, the spirit empowers us to reflect God's glory. Let me start this this with a uh, somewhat strange story, but I hope it'll help us understand this. James Michener, writing in his book, The Source, tells the story of a man named Erbal. How would you like to be named Erbal? No. Erbal was a farmer living in 2200 B.C. That's a long time ago, 4,200 and some odd years ago. He worshipped two gods, the god of death and the god of fertility. One day, the temple priest told Erbal that that if he wanted to have good crops this season, he must bring his young son to the temple as a sacrifice. Erbal obeys and on the appointed day drags his wife and his boy to the scene of the boy's religious execution by fire. After the sacrifice of Erbal's boy... Another priest announces that one of the fathers will spend next week in the temple with the new temple prostitute. Erbal's wife is stunned as she notices a desire written more intensely across his face than she had seen before. And she's overwhelmed to see him eagerly lunge forward when his name is called. The ceremony over, she walks out of the temple with her head swimming, concluding that if my husband had different gods he would have been a different man. Do you see the point? erbal 's gods were death and fertility, or, or sex. And so Urbal became a man of death, willing to give his sons life, because the priest said it would be good for his crops, and he became a man overcome with sex, lusting after the temple prostitute. Herbal's wife understood that her husband reflected the character of the gods he had chosen. And that's not good when you worship death and sex, but it's fantastic when you worship the one true creator of the Bible. I, I want us to recall the glorious attributes that we looked at in Psalm 86. How did David describe God? In verse 5 he wrote, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving abounding, overflowing in steadfast love to all who call upon Your name. And in verse 15, He added, but You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is good and forgiving and loving and merciful and gracious, slow to anger, patient, long-suffering, faithful. Now, these aren't, are certainly not all of God's glorious attributes, but they'll give us a start. The thing I want us to see is that when we talk about being transformed in the image of Jesus Christ, we're talking about becoming more like Christ, more like God. We're talking about reflecting the glorious. We can't be all that He is. We can't be divine as He is. We'll never be omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. But we can reflect His glory. Transformation means that we're becoming more like God. That we're growing to be people who are more good. I know that's better, but it works more good. More forgiving, more loving, more merciful, more gracious, more patient, more faithful people. And we could add holy, more holy and righteous and just. Take the vast majority of the attributes of God. Again, there are some that are for God alone. Sovereignty. We're not growing more sovereign. God is always sovereign. But the vast majority of His attributes are the things He wants us to become. That's why we're becoming uh, transformed in the image of Christ as the Spirit empowers us to behold, to see the glorious attributes of God revealed in His Word. The Spirit also empowers us. And again, this is mysterious. The Spirit is in us and He's working in us. He does it through conviction. He does it through comfort. He does it through encouragement. He does it through other people. He works to empower us, to transform us, to reflect these glorious attributes in our own lives. He does it through the Word of God itself. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul writes this. Familiar uh, verses when you're talking about the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is let me stop there for a second you could say uh, uh, the 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 result of the spirit indwelling and working in our lives and what follows it's a list of fruit it's, it's a it's it's fruits but it's one fruit because we, we're all they're all working together it's not like you can have one and not the other so but this list list of this is the fruit. What I want us to see is that this this fruit is of the Spirit. It's a reflection of the glory of God. It reflects that we are we're different because of who our God is. The first fruit is love. Remember, Psalm 86 says, But you, O Lord, are this is the fruit that we're that the Spirit is working in our life, but but the Psalm says, You, O Lord, are a God, a God abounding in steadfast love. And and John tells us God is love. And that we love because He first loved us. Our our ability to love is only because of God's. When we love, though, it's a reflection of God's glory. The second fruit is joy. Do, Do you know that God experiences joy? Nehemiah proclaims, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Do you know that God rejoices over many things, including doing good to His children? In Jeremiah, God says, I will rejoice in doing them good. When we experience joy, when we rejoice, it's a reflection of God's glory. The third fruit is is peace. Paul Paul writes, and the peace of God. God has peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. God is a God of peace. Jesus is, is called the Prince of Peace. And when we seek peace, it's a reflection of God's glory. The fourth fruit is patience. We saw this in Psalm 86, but you, O Lord, are a a God slow to anger. God is long-suffering, patient with His children, even and especially when they do the wrong thing. And when we demonstrate patience, we reflect God's glory. Fifth fruit is kindness. Again, Psalm 86, you, O Lord, are a God gracious. Remember that word gracious includes the idea of showing kindness, generosity to those who who haven't earned it, don't deserve it, and can never repay it. And when we show kindness, especially to the undeserving, we are reflecting God's glory. Sixth fruit is goodness. For you, O Lord, are good. God is good. We, we, We already saw that He rejoices in doing good to His children. And we know that He promises to work all things For our good. And when we we are good, when we do good, we reflect God's glory. Seventh fruit, faithfulness. But you, O Lord, are a God abounding in faithfulness. God is faithful. True to who He is and true to His Word. And when we're faithful, when when we're true to who God wants us to be, and we're true to the, the promises we make, we reflect God's glory. Eighth truth. Eighth fruit excuse me, is gentleness. The prophet Isaiah gives a picture of God's gentleness. He says, He will lead His flock like a shepherd. He will gather His lambs into His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those who are with young. God is a gentle shepherd to His sheep, to those who trust in Him. And, and when we gently care for others, those put in our care, we reflect God's glory. And finally, the ninth fruit is self-control. Now this fruit is different from the others. I'm not sure if we can say that God ever had or or needed self-control, but we can say what James says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. God is holy and righteous. God has never sinned. God has never even been tempted to sin. So maybe we can say that God has the ultimate, never-failing self-control. And that when we demonstrate self-control, when we run from temptation, when we are victorious over sin, we reflect God's glory. So I hope you you see the point here. The Spirit is at work in our lives, empowering us to behold and to reflect the glory of the Lord, producing this, this fruit of godly character. He's transforming us to be more like God, to be more like Jesus Christ. And you know what? He doesn't stop there. He doesn't just provide the power for us to to behold and reflect on God's glory. He takes it a step further. And we need to take it a step further. He empowers us to proclaim God's glory. The Spirit empowers us to proclaim the glory of God. This is what Jesus promised His disciples. But you will receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What does it mean to be Christ's witnesses? It certainly means to use words to tell what you've seen, right? To testify to what you know about and have experienced of Christ. To share with others the glory of God that you've beheld in Jesus Christ. But I believe it goes beyond words. Being a witness for Jesus must include words of explanation. You have to tell the story. You have to give the gospel, the good news. But it also includes works of demonstration. Works that, that come from a life that's been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That comes from a life that reflects the glory of God. This is our, our, this is our transformation. It's, it doesn't all happen just internally. It's our transformation going public. This is when those around us see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. They see the glory of God reflected in who we are and what we do. We're witnesses for Jesus Christ by reflecting God's glory to our world, by loving people in in a greater supernatural way, a more sacrificial way, by bringing joy into the lives of those who are experiencing difficult and troubling circumstances, by being a person of peace. Seeking to forgive and reconcile relationships by by showing patience to others in the face of suffering and fear and sin. By being kind to those who are in need, especially those who are undeserving. By seeking the good of others above your own selfish desires. By being faithful to others, always there, always living up to your own word. By being gentle like a shepherd caring for people in need. And by being self-controlled, saying no to the things of the flesh, the temptations and sins, and saying yes to the things of God, holiness and righteousness and justice and love and peace and joy and all of that. And all of this and more is made possible by the empowering, transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He empowers us to behold God's glory, He empowers us to reflect God's glory, and He empowers us to proclaim God's glory. And then He uses us. He transforms us that, that we might be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And for those who believe our testimony as witnesses, as we're out there with words and with deeds, as we're reflecting God's glory and people believe, He enters into their lives and He begins this process of transformation in them. It's all a work of God's Spirit. He empowers us to behold and reflect and proclaim His glory. That's His part. In the work. So what's our part? Well, we began by talking about our part is beholding His glory and His Word. Taking that to prayer. I think we can boil it down to one word when when we're talking about the Spirit. One word, it's a tough word for us uh, 21st century Americans. And that word is Submit. He's given you the power to behold His glory, but you must submit and look. You have to open the book. You have to spend time, and it takes effort to be in God's Word. And as the Spirit, through the Word of God, reveals where you need to change, as He convicts your heart, through the Word of God, you must again submit to what He reveals. You must go to God in in prayer Prayers of confession. Prayers of requesting transformation. Submitting to the changes He makes in your heart and mind. And finally, He's given you the power to proclaim God's glory. To be witnesses. But you must submit. You have to get off the couch. Come out of your shell. Stop making excuses about your personality And be witnesses for Jesus Christ. In the way that God's made you. Don't get me wrong. It's different for different people. But you have to make the effort. You have to submit and open your mouth. And tell of God's glory in your life. You must take your transformation public. Through word and deed. Sharing the love of Christ with a lost world. And so as we conclude this morning. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. It's a prayer of submission, a prayer of surrender to the Spirit of God at work in our lives. This is really what it means for God, for Christ, for, for God to be the Lord of your life. It means you're surrendering to the Spirit. You're surrendering to what the Spirit reveals as you behold God's glory in His Word. You're surrendering what the Spirit reveals as you pray. You're surrendering to the conviction of the Spirit. And if you desire to behold and reflect and proclaim God's glory, I'd call upon you to to join me in prayer. Pray silently with me. Father, you've given us the greatest gift imaginable. You've given us yourself. Your Spirit indwells all who trust in you, and we thank you for your Spirit's empowering work in our lives. We thank You that He empowers us. He enables us to behold and reflect and proclaim Your glory. Yes, Father, we've been given much. But we ask also that You would empower us to submit to Your Spirit at work in our lives. Help us submit and spend time in Your Word, meditating, receiving from You, beholding Your glory. Help us submit to go to You with our prayers of confession, Our prayers of transformation, asking you to work in our hearts and minds. Help us submit as the Spirit grows His fruit of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As He works those fruits into our lives, help us submit to that work. And finally, help us submit to being your witnesses. Empower us anew to proclaim your glory in our world. To our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our family, to our friends, and to the nations. Lord, teach us your ways. Give us an undivided heart. A heart that submits to your Spirit in all things for your glory and for our good. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.